0: We got what it takes for the cycle to break revolution is in me I, I belong I belong I belong Welcome to the Untamed and Unashamed podcast I'm your host Jade Bryce and I am a certified love intimacy and relationship coach i help women reconnect to their bodies and their pleasure and i help men to become a safe space for that by becoming fully embodied leaders the mission of this podcast is to expand our capacity in living untamed and unashamed as we navigate life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability compassion and openness that we can muster and celebrating our bravery and all of it along with the help of guests from all walks of life will discover new truths while doing some unlearning and we will gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are. So I invite you to open your heart and be untamed and unashamed. So today's guest is an anti-trafficking activist and a survivor of human trafficking herself. Please be advised that this episode does discuss sexual assault, domestic violence, human trafficking and drug abuse. This topic is very, very dear to my heart, and I wanted to have this guest on because I, human trafficking is something that I have thought about since I was a little girl for some reason, and it's, it's often on my mind, and uh, I have been a longtime donor to Our Rescue, O-U-R, Rescue, if you want to look that up. She'll also mention her nonprofit today as well. But the purpose of this episode and of why I post some of the stories that I do about it and why I had the episode about uh, how sometimes the uh, sex industry, like porn and strip clubs and all of that, can easily go hand in hand and uh, with sex trafficking. The reason why I have these conversations and why I post about this stuff at times is because... And the reason why we're having this episode today uh, and sharing her story here is as an effort to prevent what happened to her uh, happening to others, uh, finding ways to keep our children safe, finding ways to spot whether we're on an airplane or a grocery store, finding ways to spot the victims, finding ways to spot the perpetrators and um, yeah, becoming uh, activists in this area and becoming more aware. I do believe that, and it's one of the reasons why I chose a career in sexual healing. I do believe that the more we heal our sexuality and raise the frequency in our sexuality on the planet, the more that this fallen version of sexuality will no longer exist. I don't know what else to do in the meantime, and that's why I wanna have her on so she can kind of um, guide us, gives us give us tips and tools. Uh, She does, she has a deep commitment to educating both herself and others about trafficking, and most importantly, how to prevent it. She co-founded an anti-trafficking nonprofit in the US, and she also works as a freelance consultant. She's gonna share her personal experience as a survivor of human trafficking, And she does this with others to teach the importance of prevention and to provide the tools that individuals, community heroes and larger organizations like law enforcement and healthcare workers Need in order to recognize and assist victims in their communities. Her intention is to start conversations about trauma and trafficking and infuse communities with the passion that comes from believing that everyone is able to create change. Please help me welcome Alexandra Ford to Untamed and Unashamed. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having Mm me. Yeah, I was telling the listeners before you got on that, uh, like you, I thought of sex trafficking even as a child. It was something that I was really passionate about. I remember finding a journal from when I was like 12 and it's such a weird thing to write, but I wrote, um, you are not starving. uh, You have air in your lungs and you're not a sex trafficking victim. Why are you not happy? It was such a weird thing to write as a 12 year old. (laughs) That is Um, wild, yeah. It was something that for some reason was on my mind a lot as a kid. And then even in my young twenties, I had like statistics on my fridge just to remind me Um, to be involved, to stay involved. And so um, I know that your story started out kind of similar in that, like you were um, very passionate about the cause at a young age. Um, So I was hoping you could share some of that and maybe where that came from and then um, the trauma that you endured yourself and part of, and then some of your overcoming. Absolutely. Um, So yeah, I got involved or
1: interested in not so much sex trafficking though that was part of it um it was anti-child labor is what I Mm -hmm. knew it as and that was when I was about 11 or 12 years old and it was because I had a teacher who read us a story a a newspaper article rather and the article was out about a boy and he was a boy who was in Toronto so I'm born and raised in Ontario Canada. And he had heard about another little boy who had escaped child labor and he was speaking out about it. And the little boy who spoke out about it was shot when he was doing so. Now Mm. the Toronto boy had read about this and he had mobilized and started a nonprofit called Free the Children. And Free the Children was about kids helping kids. And the whole Mm. thing was, it was kid focused, kid run, and it was about kids helping kids uh, escape and prevent them from getting involved in child labor. And when I heard about this, I remember thinking, hold on, what? There's kids who work in factories? Like, that can't be right. So I found this niche of mine in advocacy at that age, and I loved it. So I skipped school dances to collect signatures for petition to send to our government. I raised money for school and health kits to send kids overseas. I was just this, like, happy little advocate doing everything I could to work in this anti-child labor anti-child exploitation field, now, I did learn a little bit about sex trafficking at that time, though we didn't call it that. Um, it was you know the we were focused more on the labor and less on the sex uh, trafficking side of things, and we didn't use the word trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, a couple years later, I actually began being sexually assaulted by my best friend's uncle. Mm-hmm. And that really just derailed everything. Um and that went on for many years. That wasn't a one-time thing. It went on throughout my entire teenagehood pretty much. And though I kept up a really good face, um you know, I stayed in school, I got pretty good grades. Um I really stopped being involved with free the children and I started doing drugs and just sort of had this sec- second life or like yeah, this hidden life where I would be doing drugs and um partying and just making all these sort of bad choices. And a lot of that came from the fact that though I knew part of me knew that what was happening wasn't okay. There was a part of me that really thought that I was maybe just really worldly and mature. And this 30 something year old man was interested in me. I thought it was Mm -hmm. some sort of clandestine relationship. I didn't think Mm -hmm. of it as. Yeah. From there you know, I, like I said, I started doing drugs, um, started with weed and found my way sort of spiraled downwards towards meth. Um, and I was doing meth. I was running again. I still had this front. I was managing a tanning salon, managing two tanning salons actually, and then partying at night and doing meth. And when, um, the town bad boy town drug dealer came into my salon and showed interest in me, I was like, yeah. Yeah. This seems like a great idea, right? Like, of course, I wanted social clout. He had it. Um, I wanted to keep partying. He was the source of the partying. So we started dating. And um, he was actually the person who ended up trafficking me. Though I didn't find out I was trafficked. I didn't understand what happened to me to be trafficking for another 10 years afterwards.
0: Mm. Uh, and so, what did it look like to heal from that um, not only the trauma that you experienced as a young girl, but once you found out that it was trafficking, what it what did it look like to heal from that, knowing that you were sexually exploited as well? that that's that's a really good question. Um,
1: so I lived I was exploited in two thousand seven. From 2007 till 2017, I escaped my, found out, well, escaped my trafficker. I'll call him a trafficker because that's what he was. Though it's still kind of hard for me to do that because I'm still kind of coming to terms with that.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And in that 10 years, I went to school. I got several degrees in the helping field in criminology, victimology, community and justice services. I ended up going to the police when he found me, finally went through a court case against him. He was charged not, not with trafficking by any means, but, um, abuse and a few other things, assault rather. And, uh, he was found not guilty on most of the charges released from jail, found me again. Um, and then he ended up being killed in in a, uh, like on a street corner and something completely unrelated to me. Mm. So for me, the healing didn't really start until he died because it was just this ongoing, he kept showing up like a bad penny, right? I kept trying to start restart my life and he kept showing up. Mm -hmm. And then when he died, it was sort of like everyone expected like, oh yeah, you're supposed to like, yay, close that book, chapter over, move on. And for me, it was sort of this, all of a sudden, I'm expected to be healed. The danger is gone, but it was sort of anticlimactic. Like I didn't get to say my final piece. I didn't, really get to close that book. It was closed for me. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward till I think it was 2017 or 2018. And I'm living in the States and I'm living in Wyoming. And because of visa things, I couldn't work. So I was trying to find where I could volunteer. Someone connected me with a woman named Terry Markham, who was doing anti-trafficking work. And so I called her up and I said, Hey, I don't know a thing about human trafficking. But I have a history with domestic violence and sexual assault, uh, personal history. And I've worked in this field, in the helping field, for the last 10 years. So I'm sure I can learn. And I tell her a little bit about my story. And it was actually her who, you know, said, you know, you say you don't know anything about trafficking, but what you're telling me, you were trafficked. Mm. And for me, that was like, it was almost the moment the next part of my life began. Because for 10 years, I had carried my story as I was a victim or survivor of domestic violence and a series of my own bad decisions. Mm -hmm. It was just I chose to engage in the sex industry because my boyfriend wanted me to. Were my own fault because I had said yes to the first thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And with all of the education, all of the work experience, the court case investigation, None of it came up as anything else other than and my own bad decisions. So to be told um, or help me see really that I was actually a victim of trafficking meant that all of that shame I had carried for that whole time that I had gotten myself into it, I had made all those bad decisions, suddenly was turned around and said, that wasn't your fault. You don't have to wear that shame. You were coerced and manipulated and compelled into doing these things. And that doesn't mean you made bad choices. That means you were a victim. Mm -hmm. And so that up until that point, I really didn't do much healing. I did a lot of um, shoving it down, thinking I was healed because I just pretended it didn't happen, kind of, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And then hearing that suddenly made it so I could go, oh, that box that I have shoved in that corner, I can unpack that now and I'm not going, it's not full of shame. It's, it's full of a story that I need to retell myself now. Mm-hmm. And that's how I ended up actually co-founding my nonprofit, my anti-human trafficking nonprofit. Because for me, it was like, If someone like me who has all of this education and experience and everything had no idea I was trafficked, how is anyone else supposed to understand what trafficking really is? And I knew how much shame I carried believing that it had all been my fault. So that's where that kind of came from for me is like, if I can help alleviate some shame from some people who can understand that what they're currently engaging in or what they were forced to engage in or compelled or coerced to engage in is not their fault, they don't need to wear that shame the way I did for 10 years, Mm -hmm. then wow, maybe, maybe, maybe I can bring some light somehow that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I was in the Texas coalition to stop sex trafficking and I would go to meetings all the time and, um, you know, I've watched plenty of documentaries on it. Very familiar with a lot of the nonprofits Especially locally. And I still have never heard of domestic trafficking. So it's most, I don't think many people are aware that that's even a form of it. No, I think we all still have
1: this idea that sex trafficking is that thing that happens to those people over there, Mm -hmm. whatever that exactly means in your specific mind. It's certainly, it just, it's this disconnection of it's that problem that happens to those people over there. Mm-hmm. and it makes it so we don't have to connect to it but when it we understand that domestic sex trafficking is as simple as someone compelling or coercing someone else to pr- engage in commercial sex and then they benefit from it we understand that absolutely is happening right here mm-hmm. wherever you're here is it is happening
0: yeah and so for those who are listening and they're not uh this is the first time they're even hearing of trafficking, not just sex trafficking or domestic trafficking. Um can you kind of uh maybe just explain what trafficking is because maybe someone's listening and they're like they're having a realization like you did and then also um how common it is. Absolutely. So I kind of what I just threw out was kind of a good
1: definition. I try and stay away from the legal definitions because they are filled with Legal jargon that I think confuses the issue even more. Mm -hmm. So, I think most people, when they think of trafficking, they confuse it with smuggling. So, they think of shipping containers filled with people, Mm -hmm. you know, and crossing um, country lines, country borders. So, that is smuggling. That's a different crime. Human trafficking is really compelling or coercing uh, a person to provide labor services or um, work in the commercial sex industry. And for a third party to profit. So my boyfriend profited off me using my body mm-hmm. in a sexual manner. That's trafficking. And that's as simple as it is, right? When I say simple, I don't mean to to make it seem smaller. But we think of it like, for example, the movie Taken. It happens overseas or it's a massive crime ring or crime organization. Mm-hmm. Sure, that does happen. Um, we also, when I hear stories about it or I see things go over Facebook, like, you know, uh traffickers will put a zip tie on your car and follow you or something and snatch you off the side of the road. That's not what happens. I'm not saying it never happens. I'm mm-hmm. saying it is much more likely to be someone you know, love, or trust, um, someone who is either already part of your life or who has ingratiated themselves into your life as either a parental figure or a boyfriend or a lover in some way. And they coerce you into using your body to make them money.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious, uh this isn't this wasn't something I had planned on asking, but I'm in Texas. I don't know if you're familiar with um much of what goes on in, in Texas because are you still in Canada? I'm
1: yeah, I'm back in Canada now. I'm a little bit familiar with Texas. My co-founder of Uprising is actually from Texas. So what
0: is Uprising have a little no that's not what I'm thinking of. So I think I I, I am familiar with Uprising. Um, but it's not the co-founder I was thinking of. But um, I'm curious because the the last meeting that I went to, which has been a handful of years, they did say that Texas was the top state as far as sex trafficking in America, uh, mainly Dallas, Houston, and um, San Antonio. And uh, I'm curious why, do you have any idea on why texas would be uh one of the top states for sex trafficking and also why is it like um i know big events like super bowls um things like that it's like uh why do those dr- attract so much of that industry as well do you do you know it on either of that a little bit so i can't speak specifically to texas but
1: mm-hmm. i can speak to big cities there tends to be uh more instances of trafficking or it's more, well, better documented, I think mm-hmm. a higher population, higher population, more opportunity for victims, more opportunity for buyers, um, mm-hmm. more opportunity for more money made. And it's more the trafficking that is a little bit more in your face. Um, so street level prostitution, um, strip clubs, escorting, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. There is absolutely still trafficking that happens in more rural areas. We see more uh, familial trafficking in rural areas. Mm -hmm. Now, to your other point of Super Bowl and all of that, there was definitely for a long time a really big push around Super Bowl is the biggest day for human trafficking in the States. Now, that's been debunked. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because trafficking happens every day. Mm-hmm. every day. It, it's constantly happening. Um, big events, again, draw a crowd and big events that are male focused, mm-hmm. you know, men are typically the buyers yeah. of sex. Mm-hmm. Men are also typically traffickers. I'm not saying women don't buy sex and women aren't traffickers. I'm saying typically. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at the trafficking triangle, which is buyers, sellers, um, and traffickers, Two of the three there are men. So when you have events that are male focused, I would say, you know, we tend to see an uptick. They do more sting operations. So you have more statistics, you have more information and all of that. But to highlight that, we've kind of moved away. Um, Even in the last couple of years, I've noticed a shift away from highlighting the Super Bowl as being, you know, America's number one day of trafficking because it really diminishes the idea that people are being victimized and trafficked every day. We can't just say this is the day that it's bad. And every other day it kind of happens. It's happening every single day.
0: Yeah. And I know, um, that in San Antonio, I remember, uh, being at a meeting once and they were talking, they had a, um, survivor come up and speak and, They were, they were sharing a story about, and it was a neighborhood right by the college. It was a nice suburban neighborhood uh, that they had just um, discovered. And there were like 12 girls there that they found under the age of 14 in this home. I was only, this was like 16, 17 years ago. And I remember this meeting so clearly um, because of how much it startled me that it was like in a normal neighborhood and that no one was seeing it. And so um, when it comes to just situations like that or or, um, the situation you were in, I know uh, now flight attendants are being trained. So in in all of these situations, um, no matter where we're at in our own neighborhoods, at the store, what are some warning signs of how to spot uh, either a trafficker or someone that is being trafficked?
1: Good question. So let me start by sharing a little bit about my story, because where you said that, like it was a nice suburban neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I was born and raised in Oakville, Ontario. Um, A lot of your listeners probably won't know that because it's Canadian um, and it's smaller, but it is your picture perfect suburban neighborhood. What your listeners may know is if anyone out there has seen the movie, The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. Mm -hmm. Part of that was actually filmed a couple streets over from me, the part where it's supposed to look like your perfect suburban neighborhood. So that's to give some idea. Now, my story looked like several different things, but it started out looking like my boyfriend saying, hey, you know, we're doing more drugs than we're selling. Uh, We need to supplement our income. What if at some house parties we went to, you distracted some people and I could steal some things and we can pawn them. That's how it started. This is in a wealthy suburban neighborhood at house parties where that's where I started being trafficked. So mm-hmm. absolutely, when you say, oh my, the shock of this was in such a good neighborhood, when I say it happens everywhere, it is happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. Now some warning signs. Um, I'm pausing because I'm always a little bit hesitant because a lot of the warning signs of someone being trafficked be warning signs of someone in you know a stressful life situation or whatever it is and it's hard for me to say look for these signs because it can cause other people to be overlooked and it can cause people to kind of hone in on certain things having said that there are some things we can share one is especially with um teenagers if they suddenly have things they have no business affording new shoes you know, new AirPods, depending on their financial situation, but suddenly they have things that you're like, you can't afford this. Where did this come from? Mm -hmm. Again, it's not a uh, smoking gun, but it is something that validates you to ask some more questions. Mm -hmm. Kids who are trafficked, teenagers are often still attending school. So kids who are falling asleep in class, again, a kid can fall asleep in class for any number of reasons but it's worth asking some more questions because they may be working in the evenings um, Mm -hmm. or working overnights and that's why they're tired. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody who is becoming isolated from their family loses interest in things they used to like, uh, spending tons more time on their phone, which I know I think every parent and teacher is rolling their eyes like, oh, a teenager who spends a lot of time on their phone, that's a warning sign. Again, this is why I sort of give that little warning at the beginning. But those Mm -hmm. are all things that, are worth looking out for someone who's with um for example like what flight attendants are going to be trained on is is there a young person with someone who's older who isn't allowed to speak for themselves who isn't carrying their own documentation you know id or passport who um, looks scared looks to the person they're with before they answer every question Mm -hmm. um, kind of for approval those sort of things are things we look for traffickers I can't I can't really tell you what to look for cuz they can look like anyone. They can mm-hmm. look like, you know, my shaved head muscled drug dealing boyfriend. They can look like someone in, you know, who leads the church choir. They can look like mm-hmm. absolutely anyone. We know they're typically male, but again, I don't want to say that women never traffic. I I know cases of women where they were the traffickers. So,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you feel that the sex industry, um, you know, from companies that produce porn to strip clubs are often linked to sex trafficking or at least go hand in hand with them?
1: Yes. I love that you brought that up. I think we have this idea as a society that, you know, sex trafficking, zero out of five stars would not recommend. Everyone knows it's bad, right? Like it's terrible. It's bad. Nobody is highlighting that anybody should do this. But then we have this sort of sex work, however, like whatever encompasses that, but maybe, um, porn to posing in, you know, um, pornographic magazines to, Mm -hmm. Uh, strip clubs to any of that, like five out of five stars, right? Like that is empowering. Women are empowered when they're doing it. They're taking control of their body. Mm -hmm. Now I can't speak to every single person in the industry. Everybody is unique and maybe in some days they feel empowered and some days they don't, whatever it is. But I think what we need to do is stop um, seeing it as a one or the other and start, start understanding that it's a continuum Mm -hmm. and that Your place on that continuum from being fully empowered to completely controlled can shift on the daily, can shift throughout your life. Maybe you started as a teenager being trafficked. And then that's all, you know, you've been doing it for so many years that this is how you now feel empowered to make your money because you don't know anything else. Maybe one day you feel really empowered because you love the shoot you're doing and the next day. They're asking you to do things that you're like, I, I don't want to do this, but you know, your career's on the line. If you don't, Mm -hmm. Um, I actually want to highlight, I noticed one of your posts, I have it up here Mm -hmm. and you commented saying you treated your body like a workplace. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something we have to recognize. People will consent to anything to survive. Mm -hmm. Um, And coercion and consent can coexist. When there's coercion present, the consent is voided. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And coercion isn't just somebody saying, come on, do it, do it, do it, do it. Right. Coercion can be, I don't, Have any other way to make money can be financial coercion can be, Hey, if you do this, you're going to book the next big thing. You just have to do this one thing that makes you a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I think what we have to do is keep having conversations. It's not out there. It's not, I'm not out there saying all The entire commercial sex industry needs to be abolished. Everyone should, you know, be covered up and there is not allowed for any sexuality. I'm not here to tell how someone else feels empowered. I am here to say we need to be having these conversations, especially with younger generations, especially with young girls, because 16 year olds, even 18 year olds at 18, you can legally consent to commercial sex, to being involved in commercial sex your brain is not fully developed to understand the consequences of those actions until your late 20s. Mm-hmm. So we have to start thinking of this as a continuum and realizing that there is different levels of harm that come with the industry and so maybe posing for playboy for example is one level some people think of it as harmful some people don't it's sort of maybe in the middle for a lot of people whereas mm-hmm you know, working in porn is going to be seen as more harmful for more reasons. And it has more effect on your long-term, um, mental health perhaps. Mm -hmm. And then of course, loss of autonomy, complete loss of autonomy, like being trafficked is detrimental to anybody's mental health.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I had on, um, a couple of episodes ago, it's Ronnie Landis and it's all about how to recover from porn when it comes to like a dopamine reset in the nervous system. But a lot of what we talked about was how, even if there are, uh, when you go on a porn site or you're on OnlyFans or we're talking about playboy, whatever it is, even if some of the women are empowered, the intention of the production is not to typically to empower women. It's to control the men's, um, like the algorithm and the men's attention and, um, kind of to disempower the the man, um, through this addictive uh, modality. And yeah, when I, when it comes to playboy, I know for me, um, I think I was 23 or 24 when I first shot with him and I in no way, uh, consider this to be, um, to the extremes of what you've gone through or what you spoke of. Um, but there, the type of portion was more of like, um, uh, the type of agreement of what I would and wouldn't shoot. And then being in the midst of a photo shoot with a dozen people staring at me and everyone's wanting to get off the clock. And we're, you know, on that last set and the photographer's like, just move your leg more this way. And I don't want my leg that open, but he's like, no, 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 there's a shadow there. Or like, there's, we know we'll crop it and then that's out there. And then, so then on the next shoot, it's like, well, that's already been done. And it's like kind of this like gradual. And then, uh, on, as far as being at the mansion, it was never, I know I, I never did any escort services or was ever asked to, um, but I did see the, what felt like an unspoken agreement for certain women who were offered bigger contracts. And, um, and I never got deep in enough to know if it was even an unspoken agreement. But I do know that um, a lot of the Playboy models that I worked with, not a lot of them, but a handful of them, it was their boyfriends that convinced them to do it. Um, it was their boyfriends that convinced them to have a sugar daddy to furnish their home. And I never thought of that as, because they weren't being abused, you know, but you don't often think of just the coercion and the manipulation or the pressure or the put, putting you on the spot in front of everybody when you're young and very impressionable and kind of getting put in the spotlight too, you know, and how much that can kind of um, influence you at the 23 year old or 24 year old or. Um, yeah. So thank you for, thank you for speaking on that. Um, I think too, it's not just the, um, what, what Ronnie and I spoke on as well is it's not just the the women even being coerced sometimes. It's also, even if it's like porn, they're generating ads on that free site. And from what I've been taught that, um, porn is often heavily linked with sex trafficking. And so even if you don't feel like you said, it's like sex trafficking, zero out of five stars, Free porn five out of five, not hurting anybody. You don't actually know what you're contributing to. And there's so much, so many other reasons to abstain from porn, but that alone, you just don't know what that money is going towards. Uh, it's not paying uh to feel the production. So, um, at least that's what I've been taught. I don't know with every site, but that's it, it feels true in my body when I think about that, um, you brought up sexual empowerment and that was kind of the theme of that last topic. Um, we, we are in like a time, I think when women are really stepping into I don't even know that it's sexual empowerment, but there's, you know, it was like after the me too movement and after like, it's like, we, like you saw the also like the girl boss where it's like the women can, they can do it all, you know? And it's like with that social and economic um, reclamation or empowerment, it did feel like that sexual reclamation and empowerment came in as well. And what it feels like is more of like, um, Permission to express sexuality without being objectified, maybe. I'm not exactly sure what it feels like for most women. But I'm curious for you, when does that sexual empowerment um, kind of, when does it like feed the sexual exploitation?
1: That's a great question. And there is not, I wish I had like, at this point, this is when it turns bad. So as long as we get to here and stay there because that would be super easy, right? We right. just don't yeah. do that and then you're fine. Yeah, um, That is different for everybody. And mm-hmm. there's arguments to be said that there is like no empowerment in overt sexuality. And then there is arguments for sex is nothing more than, what did one of the comedians, like it's the same as making a Subway sandwich. I think, um, I think it was John Oliver did a bit on that. And a lot of uh, people who have been in the sex industry are like, no, it's not. (laughs) Let let me tell you that. Um, But when does sexual empowerment become exploitation? I think, one, we have to first really get away from um, the me versus we, we mentality. So just because it's good for me, I feel empowered. So what if, you know, I have a sugar daddy and he pays for my rent and my college education. Like, I feel good about it. I don't feel like I'm doing anything wrong. I don't feel hurt or anything by it. Great. I'm happy for you. But I, there's a sentence I say a lot, and it's kind of when I'm reaching the end of my rope. Um, And I say, you know, I don't know why we still have to explain to, I don't want to have to keep explaining to people why they should care about other people. but. The fact of the matter is the sex industry preys on people, on vulnerable populations more than anything. So if this, I always say this, if this industry was a great way to make money, super empowering, not harmful, all of that, then, and this is controversial, but why aren't more white men doing it? Right? They are the buyers more often than not. They're not the people who are selling their bodies. If you look at the general populations of people who work in the sex industry, they are minorities, indigenous population, women, children, LGBTQIA population. You're not seeing empowered people who have a bunch of other choices choosing to do this more often than not. Not saying never. I don't speak in absolutes because it, Just doesn't ever go well um but if we know that at the foundation this industry is exploitative then the only way we can get to a place where we can say it is empowering for the majority because it'll never be again never an absolute but you have about two percent of people who work in the sex industry right now who are truly truly deeply empowered the other 98 percent And this, these are not, these are general statistics. I'm not like throwing out an actual fact, but generally the other 98% are being exploited and we cannot have 2% of the population speak for the other 98% because they're telling the story that we want to hear. They're telling the story that feels good for us to listen to that people who are doing, the girls doing porn wanna be there. They're having fun, right? We're not harming anyone when we're watching it. We're just helping pay someone's rent, right? If I'm ordering an escort to my room, I'm just helping her pay rent. That's what we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. But if we ever want to see in this industry become non-exploitative, then what we have to do is fix things like, first of all, gender discrimination. We need to fix that. Um, we need to fix racial discrimination, uh, sexism. We need to make post-secondary education not you know, put you in the hole hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, we need to have better care for uh, single mom, single parents, and better child care. Like all of those things are the driving factors for the majority of the population in the commercial sex industry. It's not because they're like, "Hey, I went and I got a great education. I feel very empowered about what I'm going to do with my life, and what I truly want to do is sell my body. Mm-hmm. Do those people exist? Sure, but they're not the majority of the population. Yeah. So I think there is, Absolutely. You know, there's a a reckoning coming with women being like, you can't control me anymore, please. And thank you. Like we still say that because we've been conditioned from a very young age to not cause trouble, not be the girl on the shoot who makes everyone stay late. Right. Just kind of, I don't want to be the troublemaker, good girl conditioning, but we can reclaim our sexuality without it harming the most vulnerable of us, I think, or we need to work towards that goal is not, well, it's good for me, but I'm a white woman, upper middle-class white woman. So, you know, as long as it's good for me, it's good for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. You know that's not the truth. We need to start asking the questions of the people who are being the most exploited and the people who are the most vulnerable and figure out, figure out what they need before we can claim that it's empowering for everyone.
0: Yeah. I'm curious if any of you have tried Paleo Valley's organ complex. Organ pills are also known as nature's multivitamin. Most people are taking a multivitamin and think that it's making them healthier. However, it's best to get the nutrients your body needs in whole food form. Organ complex is one of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet and the richest natural source of so many vitamins that many people are deficient in. Organ meats are nature's most potent source of B12 and contain vitamin K, choline, vitamin A, and other nutrients that will help your brain thrive most of us are tired and supplementing with caffeine, but liver is such a powerful energy booster that researchers have deemed it the organ meat with a potent anti-fatigue factor. It's also a natural hair, skin, and nail booster. And if you know anyone coming off of birth control, this pill replenishes the minerals depleted by birth control pills. For me, it has helped me with my iron issues in the past and has really helped with my period symptoms and my energy levels. I love eating organ meats as a meal with my family, but we can't do that every day. And so I'm really thankful to have this supplement. I take four capsules daily with fat and vitamin C for ultimate absorption. I use uh, Paleo Valley's Essential C Complex with it. You can head over to paleovalley.com forward slash Jade for 15% off your first order. That's P-A-L-E-O V-A-L-L-E-Y dot com forward slash jade. Paleo com forward slash jade for 15% off your first order. Now on with the show. To to close off this piece, you know, when uh and I talked about this in the Ronnie Landis episode in detail, but the when uh COVID hit, my I I work for uh nonprofits raising fund uh raising um, uh, money for nonprofits at, at like big events. So as soon as COVID hit these events of 500 plus people, they were all canceled, like indefinitely. And I ha- I'm a, I was a, I'm a single mom, uh, at the time they were four and five. And, um, I looked at the unemployment, uh, payout. And I was like, that doesn't even cover groceries. And I was so scared. And, um, I was a couple of my girlfriends that hadn't even, they weren't even in the Playboy um, circle. They were just uh, like monster girls and uh, like the GP type girls. They got on OnlyFans and they were making like 60,000 a month, right? Because they were like one of the first ones on there. It got saturated real quick. And that was not the case for most of the women on there, but they were like one of the first ones. So they were featured on the main page. And it was like, at the time it was like, oh my God, I could potentially buy us a home. Like... And, uh, which like for me at that time, I was like, I mean, I had left an abusive relationship with like, I don't know, $200 to my name. It was like such a huge risk. So to, f- to see these women creating that life for themselves, I thought, um, wow, only fans is an incredibly empowering decision. I can provide for my children, possibly buy us a home. And the way it'll feel good for me is if I bring in my spirituality with it. And so you know i would do these like sexy you know little dances it's kind of like um what i did for playboy or maxim i didn't get fully nude but um it was similar to the style and i would bring in a mantra of the day or like anything i could do to try to feel like i was bringing forth my heart and spiritual aspect to it um because i because that's what would fe- would feel empowering for me and in that first year um you know out of I don't know how many messages came in, um, you know, to most of the videos, but I'd say that out of the responses, like maybe two out of a hundred would actually be in response to the spiritual aspect and everything else was a very, um, objectifying, uh, disempowering response. And then when I really felt into like, man, this is not an alignment. And I started to notice, um, how I hadn't healed my sexuality, my, my own sexual trauma. And these videos were very robotic and impersonal really. And that's when I started to realize like, wow, this is so not in alignment with, um, where I want to be in my life. I switch. I announced to that audience, I'm not going to be doing these dancing videos anymore. Um, you know, I've, I'm taking this journey into healing my sexual trauma. I've done this, uh, 700 600 hour course around this and what i actually want to teach is how to provide a safe space for your woman to um uh be able to access her like what i was accessing in my own life and Mm -hmm. how to um i wanted to teach like not on my own body but teach uh like women's anatomy like I, i wanted like a like a proper sex education and i thought well, OnlyFans seems like the great place for it because I can't do this on Instagram. And then maybe I'll make money doing that and it will feel in alignment. I'd say like every video I made for that, I went from having like 800 purchases to like three. And so it's another thought of like, if it, if that industry was so empowering and those platforms were so empowering, then that probably would have worked. You know, um, that with that audience, they would have been drawn to that as well, you know, and the messages would have been different. So it is, it's a, it's, it is a confusing thing of like, well, what does sexual empowerment look like? And I suppose for me right now, um, it's feeling that I've integrated my trauma and I'm able to feel fully seen by my partner in union. That feels really sexually empowering for me, how it looks like to, um, my podcast audience and my social media audience, I'm still figuring out because I do want to make sure. And I talked about this with the Ron, Ronnie Landis episode. I do want to make sure that I'm not fueling any sort of addiction that, uh, goes hand in hand with the disempowerment of any, like you said, the minority, the children, the women who may f- seem like they have a choice, but they really don't. Um, Absolutely. So yeah. yeah. Um, So to close off with ways to protect um, children in our community, what are the top ways to protect our children and our teenagers when it comes to being online, uh, when it comes to talking about consent? Um, What did you need as a teenager? Like, what was the talk that you would have needed to have? Um, How do we empower our children and teens to protect themselves?
1: I love that question. A couple ways. One is, like you said, talk about consent. You can talk about consent with your kids starting at like 18 months, two years old. I I have, so I'm a single mom too. I have a four-year-old and a two and a half-year-old. And, you know, I started with my son when he was about 18 months and he'd want me to tickle him and I'd tickle. And then as any kid, no, stop, huh? right? Oh, you said, stop. Mommy's hands are up. You told me to stop touching your body. Mm. Right? Little things like that. And it doesn't have to be every time. I'm not saying you can't just have a tickle war with your kid. I'm saying you can start the conversation there Mm -hmm. with, you know, as kids age, when grandma or grandpa come over, don't force them to kiss and hug grandma and grandpa. Just because they feel grandma and grandpa may feel a close relationship with your children, your children may not feel that same with them. Mm -hmm. And so... Yes, they still have to be polite and say hi to people who enter the home, especially family members, but maybe they don't have to hug or kiss people. They don't want to. Those are where you can kind of plant seeds really young. Um, Continuing that conversation means, first of all, not just talking to girls. The amount of times when people find out what I do, I hear, oh, I have daughters or so someone I know has daughters. They need to hear this. Do you have sons? Because as I explained earlier, two thirds of the trafficking triangle is men. We have to invest in boys and men, fully Mm -hmm. thinking, feeling, emotionally expressive boys and men. Mm -hmm. We also have to talk about consent and the fact that it can exist with coercion. Someone can say yes, and their yes was coerced. And what does that look like? So when we're talking to, you know, preteens and teenagers who are going to start you know, exploring their sexuality, we need to make sure that um, boys and girls understand not just how to feel when their body is trying to tell them no, even if the word yes is coming out of their mouth, but how to recognize when someone's saying yes, but their body is saying no. So they're like, yeah, okay, we can do that. And they're shrugging their shoulders in or making their body smaller. They're hesitant. Mm-hmm. They're not making eye contact. How do we teach people not only to recognize consent within their body but to recognize true and authentic consent from someone else right so that is huge especially for teenagers who are just starting to explore their sexuality mm-hmm. When it comes to keeping your kids safe online, this is is huge So your kids if your kids have an online presence, it is not a matter of if a predator will see them it is a matter of when. That is just social media is that is the dangers of social media. So how do we keep our kids safe? Because I'm not gonna say, well, just don't give your kids a cell phone until they're 18. That's not realistic. But teach them how to use it. So for example, I use this example a lot. When your kids are growing up and you wanna teach them how to cross the road, you don't just say like, good luck, kid hope, hope you make it, Mm -hmm. you at first are carrying them, right? And then maybe they're walking beside you, but you have a death grip on their wrist. And then maybe they're allowed to kind of hold your hand or just hold onto your belt loop, or then they're allowed to walk next to you. And then eventually you stand on the edge of the road, you coach them and they're allowed to cross by themselves. And then eventually you trust them that they can cross a road by themselves. But if at some point you see them not looking both ways or just darting out into the road, you're going to dial it back. Okay, no, I'm seeing that you're really not practicing some of those safe safety techniques we talked about. So now you're going to have to hold mommy's hand for a while when we cross the road because you're not Mm -hmm. being safe. Mm -hmm. So with online safety or giving a kid a cell phone, for example, same thing. You don't just here's a cell phone, good luck. You know, I hope it all turns out well for you. It's here's your cell phone. Um, I bought it for you. So it's mine, really. Um, it doesn't go in your bedroom, it doesn't go in the bathroom. Those were where we know most sexually suggestive photos are taken. So cell phone stays in uh public areas of the house. Overnight it charges in the kitchen. And for the first however long, I will be going through your phone. I expect to have all your passwords of all your social media accounts and and be upfront with them. You don't want to break their trust and sneakily go through their phone while they're sleeping, but mm-hmm. say this is a tool. It has some great things about it. There can be some dangers. So I will be going through your phone and anything that I come up with or I come across, um, that I'm going to want to talk to you about, we're going to sit down and talk about. Yeah. Now, as they grow, as you come to trust them, um, and they show you, they can be trusted. Maybe that turns into Uh, the first Friday of every month, we're going to go through your phone together, you know, your DMS and and you're going to show me kind of what's happening in there. And then you're going to slowly give them more, um, freedom as you trust them. That's going to look different for every parent and child relationship for every kid, but it also gives you an idea of how they're reacting to people. Um, you have to let them know people are going to message you. And if it feels too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah. The other thing I throw out there is uh, two tips. One, when I'm talking to teenagers uh, or talking to kids, look out for your friends, because I think we all know that for ourselves, we might be kind of explain things away or be like, oh, well, it's different for me or this person really does like me. But when your friend has a boyfriend or girlfriend you don't like or you don't think treats them right, you might be more apt to notice that. So look out for your friends because you might notice something about your friend and or your friend about you that you may not kind of pick up for yourself. Mm-hmm. And the other thing with parents, um, a tip or a trick I learned, um, and my kids are too young for it now, but I will absolutely be implementing it is come up with something, whatever it is, the person I spoke about used like a playing card, it was like King of Hearts or something, that they kept in a drawer in their kitchen. And if the kid ever had something really serious, they had to tell their parents that they were super ashamed of or terrified to tell them, it was bring me this card. And it will remind you that you're scared. It will remind me rather that you're coming to me with something that you're scared to talk to me about. And I think as a parent, it gives you, cause a lot, you know, what do you mean? you sent a naked picture to a stranger. It's like, what would you, what are you thinking? You know, that kid who gets that reaction is probably not going to come and speak to their parents again, if something bad happens, yeah. but the parent who maybe is thinking that in their head, but goes, wow, you must be really scared right now. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Let's talk about our options, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or the kid who's at a party who suddenly realizes that they're saying, oh, if you want to ride home, you have to give me a blowjob or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Then they can say, hey, uh, I got to call my parents. And the parent, rather than being like, you're at a party? Oh my God, like, can't believe you disobeyed me. It's, where are you? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll be there to pick you up. We'll talk about this tomorrow. You know, all of those things. Um and yeah, the last tip I give, I'll give parents is if you only feel comfortable getting to know three apps, you only know how to use Instagram and Facebook and, and TikTok or something, then your kid only gets to have three apps on their phone. Yeah. If they want another app, cool, which one are you deleting? Mm-hmm. You have to not be your kid's best friend when it comes to the phone mm-hmm. um to online, online has a lot of great benefits to it, but if it's not treated with um, understanding the level of risk it comes with as well, then it can be extremely dangerous. So yeah. I think we all need to to realize and recognize that and treat it as a, a tool that has benefits, but also has risks.
0: Yeah. I love that you brought up talking about consent with our boys because I remember I don't remember how it was sometime in my twenties. I sp- spoke to a man after I felt like he didn't take my no and it didn't feel at the time like rape because once, once we were doing it, I went along with it, but mm-hmm. I did say no a couple of times. And he told me, he was like, I grew up always thinking that a woman saying no, meant maybe he was like, I didn't take your no seriously. And he was being honest with me. And this was like years later when I like came to him hurt and he, you know, it was, it, it was a good conversation. I don't know if he was just scared, mm-hmm. um, but I, that always stuck with me that he said, like I grew up as a man being taught that a woman's no meant maybe to keep trying. It basically meant to keep trying. Mm-hmm. And also the other thing about speaking to our boys is, is the other side of the conversation as well, because I know that we have a higher statistic of women being victims, but I also think that most men don't come forth because it's a different type of violation. It's like a violation on being a man. And so they're a little more ashamed. And so I think that's one of the reasons why this statistic is lower. And I know a couple of men that I've um, asked, like, did you ever experience sexual trauma? A lot of their answers were, I don't know. Because it like, it was almost like they, their survival was blocking it out because it did. It felt like they were being um, no longer a man in that sort of violation. So I I love that you brought up speaking to our boys as well. And I love the exercises that you gave for teaching consent. As far as the online and having phones, I know uh, one of my mom friends has an app. The child knows that she has the app. So it's beautiful that you said like, don't violate their trust. Her child knows that they have the app and her app, um, basically, it's hooked up to her son's phone in a way that if she wants, she can get on his apps and in his messages and see everything. Okay. And she has trigger words set up that if the word alcohol, sneak out, uh, sexy, like whatever trigger word she has, at uh, blowjob, uh, it alerts her phone. So that's really cool that we are developing tools like that. And another tool that she has told me about that's really cool is that if he's at a party or at a friend's house, and all of a sudden starts to feel uncomfortable, he says, Hey, mom, did you buy bananas? And like that one question, she knows to come pick them up right away. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's that's another beautiful tool that I thought, and it goes along with what you said, of like building that trust. Um, To close off before we enter the lightning round that ends the show, um, when it comes to just our community, how can we effectively stand up and make a difference when it comes to? well, sorry. Actually, before I ask you that, I, I am really curious how you feel about sharing your children on your social media. I don't. You don't? Okay. I Do don't. Have, what are your reasons? Um,
1: I have... Uh, so I've worked with the Internet Crimes Against Children um, people, uh, and I was shown a specific um, account on Instagram. And it was this account where people had stolen photos, perfectly innocent, non-sexual photos, like your kid at their, on their first soccer team with their oversized, you know, t-shirt with their foot on the ball, smiling, or the first day of school pick or whatever it is, nothing that is, you know, in any way, typically sexual. And they had screenshotted or stolen these pictures and put them in this account and predators were able, um, or predators commented uh, down in graphic graphic descriptions what they would do to that child Mm -hmm. if they had alone time with them. Mm -hmm. Perfectly innocent photos. And that to me, you'll see, like I may share my kids, but it'll be from the back of their head or something like that. Mm -hmm. The other pieces, you know, for our generation and before, when you started dating, the like running joke was, oh, we're going to bust out the baby albums, right? And we're going to show them to your date and show them those hilarious pictures of you when you got into your diaper and, you know, spread it all over the wall or are naked in mom's rain boots or something, like whatever it is. That was like, you know, the embarrassment that as a teenager, it was like, you. Have, I'm not bringing my my new boyfriend home or my new girlfriend home because my parents are going to embarrass me by showing all these photos. Well. All of those baby albums for everyone are just online now, right? From the moment of conception, from the first ultrasound photo, kids' entire lives are documented online. And I think we're going to start seeing a lot of pushback about that of like, hold on, I didn't give consent to having my life from, you know, potty training documentation to tantrum documentation to my face being online. Can you imagine your yeah. child being that recognizable, but they have no idea that they are. So they get stared at when you're out because people are always like, why do I know that face? Right. Mm-hmm. Or run up and be like, hi, oh my goodness. I know you from your mom's Instagram account or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, that changes for everybody and how many followers you have and your privacy settings and what you feel comfortable with. But for me, I won't be sharing my kids yeah. in a public way like that. And just quickly, I do want to throw out there, cause you had asked me before and I forgot to answer it. You know, what did I need when I was a teenager? What conversation did I need? Mm-hmm. Um, and when you shared that story about going back, you know, talking to that man that he didn't respect or know and he had heard, he had grown up believing, you know, no meant try harder. Yeah, we need to shift the whole idea around consent, sexual consent, away from no means no, towards yes means yes. Because the sexual assault I experienced, like I said, I thought it was a kind of relationship with this older man. I did never say no, so I did never track it mm-hmm. as a means or assault. And I think for so many of us, there's like, well, I went along with it because it was easier than. You know, having to explain my no, you know, yeah. I said no several times and they weren't getting it. So I figured, you know, the wham bam, thank you, ma'am would be easier than being harassed. You know, they're picking at me constantly.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that's where we need to shift the conversation. Yes means yes. And that's where we need to understand consent from both
0: sides and not pressuring people into it. Yeah. So I love that. I have never thought of that. And that's really powerful. I hope that takes. I hope that takes on. Um, uh, yeah, as far as the children sharing the children, it's you know I have a number of friends that and family that ch- share their children online, and I feel joy when I see them. So there's this thought of like, oh, what would social media be like without any children? Like, it's sad place. And at the same time, I know that what you're saying is very, very real. And I've been talking about it with mom friends a lot re- uh, recently, where we're trying to figure out like, what do you do? Do you make a separate page that's only like the few people that you know, you know, so, uh, thank you for that feedback. I know it's a lot for it's, it is, it's a, it's a big decision. And, um, and the consent piece is huge too, you know, a Mm -hmm. lot of us don't think about that part. So when it comes to, um, effective ways for us to make a difference in our communities, what are some action steps? Talk
1: to your kids. Talk to your kids, um, your teenagers, young kids. If you don't have kids yourself, if you're involved in children's lives, recognize consent. Ask before you give them a hug. Little things, like it's it's the little things that'll make the biggest differences. Like donate to nonprofits doing anti-trafficking work. Of course, all of those things. Um, but I think to create the massive and foundational change we want to create. It's, it's going to be the little things. It's going to be changing no means no to yes means yes. It's going to mean mm-hmm. talking about consent, not just teaching girls how to fend off sexual assault, but teaching boys mm-hmm. what sexual assault is. And it's not just the stranger in the alleyway who, you know, jumps, you know, some poor girl walking alone. Cause that's even, that's, you know, guys are like, well, I don't do that. So I'm not a problem. Okay. Mm-hmm. But did you hear the no? Did you see the no? No. Did you see a freely given enthusiastic? Yes. If it's not, I don't know if I can swear on your podcast. Um, okay. So if it's not a fuck, yes, it's a fuck. No.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: For any sexual activity, that's where we have to start. And then as adults, when you engage with kids, whether they're yours or you coach a soccer team or you're a teacher, anything show consent, don't just talk about it, show it. Hey, can I give you a hug? Can I give you a kiss? not just we feel this ownership over our kids and, and over children in general, that I'm the big person. I'm the adult. If I want to hug you, I can. How many times has you, have you hugged a kid or as a kid yourself been hugged? And you're like, great. Mm-hmm. Thanks. This is uncomfortable. Please stop. Right. So mm-hmm. instead of that, we can show that. And I think that's going to be some of the biggest things we can do. And then when you want to learn more specifically, specifically about trafficking, Make sure you're getting good information. Make sure you're not jumping on bandwagons that actually you know, cause more harm than good to anti-trafficking efforts. Um, I will throw out a plug there. My website, uh, my nonprofit's website, uh, which is uh, has a ton of resources for parents, for kids, to learn about trafficking, to learn what trafficking is, what it isn't, what you need to look out for, how you can talk about it get that information so you have it and start talking to your kids about it.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. All right, thank you for plugging that as well. And i um, and I have you maybe say it one more time before we get off, but f- uh, what I do at the end of every show is I ask everyone a couple of short questions. It's just like a lightning round. The first okay. one is, if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? It wasn't your fault. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, a lot of people need to hear that. If you could have the whole world read one book, what would it be? Uh,
1: What Happened to You by Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry. And a secondary book, which would be Dr. Bruce Perry's uh, first book, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. I
0: haven't heard of either of those. Thank you. (laughs) They're both excellent. Check them out. Okay. If you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? Care about each other. Okay, and then lastly, uh, if you could just say that nonprofit link one more time for those who weren't ready, and then how people can connect with you uh, on social media and all of that. Absolutely. Um, Uprising is the name of the
1: nonprofit and the website is uprisingyo.org. So uprisingwyo.org. Um, Same Instagram handle, uprisingyo. And then me personally, I work under my brand, The Laughing Survivor. And you can find me on Instagram at the laughing survivor or thelaughingsurvivor.com is my website.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. It's, it's really beautiful to, um, to not only develop this new awareness around the different types of trafficking and, and I love, uh, the, instead of no means no yes means yes. That feels really, really important. So I'm really thankful for the tools that you've brought on today and that you're putting out into the world. And I also just, uh, I mean, I'm sure you get this a lot, but I admire the strength that you embody after all that you've been through. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time.
1: Well, thank you so much. And thank you for taking your platform and using it to discuss such a serious and difficult subject, but it's so important. So I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, thank you. All right, you guys. I know that can be a really activating (sighs) few topics to listen to, especially if you're a parent um i mean being a woman in the world that can already feel activating to listen to 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 a conversation to be in but man as a parent whether you're a mom or a dad it can be it raises up this different feeling in you of you know when it comes to protecting your children um yeah some of the things she shared can feel really activating and charging so gentle with yourself Um, and, and take it as, um, take it as you now better have awareness and tools to use. Um, take some deep breaths. I know that's what I need to do. Um, all right. I'll thank the affiliates. Um, you can go to my site, jade brice.com, to work with me or to sign up for any of my workshops or any of my programs. And one of my favorite affiliates is uh, at the link right underneath jade brice.com. It's paleovalley.com forward slash jade. Uh, my favorite products are the bone broth. It's changed my hair. It's changed my skin so much. And then the meat organs. I mean, all around that has really helped me with my sleep, my hormones, everything. I also love their, um, wild caught fish, uh, supplement that really helps with anxiety and depression. They've got, they've got so many things on there. I love all of their products. They're the highest quality. They're all organic. Me and my partner, all my, my entire family, we all, they're a part of our daily, uh, our daily supplements, our daily diets. I'm still, uh, I'm still coming down from this conversation. It's a big, um taking some deep breaths. Just the, the um, you know, the fact that this exists in the world, it's, it's a hard thing to wrap your head around. All right, right under that link, you'll see the link for Gene Keys. Uh, that link will send you to the dream course, but he also has a course for love, for prosperity. If you use that link, the show will get a small cut. All of these affiliate links, y'all. Um, when you use these specific links, um, the show gets a small cut and it's a way to pr- uh, promote, it's a way to, um, support the show. I love being able to have these conversations and I want to do it as long as possible. Uh, the show does have expenses, uh, the production expenses, the promos, all of that. And this is a way that I can keep the show going. So I would love your support in that way. And then, uh, pleasure wands and Yoni eggs at wands dot scom code jade gets you a discount there as well these are really strengthening tools for the pelvic floor for dearmoring the cervix and then all things infrared at higherdose.com code jade 75 gets you 75 dollars off thank you so much for tuning in and being on this journey with me it would mean so much if you would leave a review share an episode with a friend uh this episode feels really important for just awareness and uh and knowing, uh, yeah, knowing the, the type of tools we can use to protect ourselves and our children in our community. You can also join me on Instagram at untamed and unashamed podcast as always be a light, stay open and remember you belong here.